in order to develop a practice of concentration or to develop our capacity for concentration it's in part developing a muscle a strength so you know so for example if you can hang in there for two breaths then you want to kind of develop the strength to be able to hang in there for four breaths kind of to stretch how long you hang in there so there's certainly a, the mind gets stronger as you do this so uh, if you spend a lot of time memorizing things like memorizing the metta sutta you develop a certain strength strength of capacity to memorize becomes easier to memorize the more you do it. You're developing that muscle in a sense. And then parenthetically you might say that um, that uh, memorizing texts, memorizing things actually helps meditation practice, helps with the concentration, the kind of like the same muscle you're using. And um, so there's a strength thing that, ha- that happens. And that, stre- that strength is something that you can kind of carry with you into your daily life. So it's like working out in the gym. So you kind of get stronger and you can carry that strength into your daily life. You strengthen your mind. The other side of, me- of concentration is learning to soften and let go and relax. And so there's a whole side of learning what to let go of, learning not to be caught by our preoccupations and learning to soften. And, and both, have to ha- both happen together. And, um, and so in different times you might be learning more the strengthening part, other times the letting go part, the softening part. But both are needed. They happen simultaneously, and both are needed in order to develop samadhi, or concentration states. The Buddhist tradition um, distinguishes uh, different kinds of concentration. Uh, so, kind of like, perhaps, kind of like, I don't know if it's a fair word, but kind of like quantum leaps in concentration, and. Um, or different, you know, right now four categories of concentration that I'll talk about now. Um, there is what's called preparatory concentration, and that's the kind of concentration you need uh, when you're not able to get concentrated. It's the um, it's the cultivation of concentration. It's the, it's the work the the work of getting concentrated. It's the work of kind of engaging and trying to get concentrated. So the mind wanders. You come back. You can focus again. It's preparing yourself to get concentrated, preparing the mind, working the mind. It's called parikama samadhi in Pali. And that's kind of like what happens when you sit down in regular street consciousness. You've been going around your daily life and you sit down and the mind is, you know, a little bit bit or quite a bit distracted, wild, um, uh, cut up, agitated. And then, uh, you know, you 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 have to apply yourself that initial application of a agitated mind, distracted mind. Uh, that kind of concentration you need there is called parikamas, it's preparatory concentration. The next uh, kind of concentration is called um, uh, upachara, I think it's the word, upachara samadhi, which uh, upachara means neighborhood, vicinity, or access. It's access concentration. Mm-hmm. It's that concentration you need it opens the door for the possibility of going a quantum leap into the next level of concentration. Um, and um, uh, the word also has the meaning of neighborhood. You're in the neighborhood of getting concentrated. And this uh, uh, access concentration is a concentration when there's no longer any distractions that keep you from being concentrated. The hindrances to concentration are lo- no longer operating for you. So nothing's hindering the ability to be focused. The, you're kind of in a groove, it's possible to stay there. The mind might wander away a little bit, 
but into thoughts. But it's kind of like there's a rubber band attached to your thoughts. And you just come right back. You kind of go out, but the rubber band stretches and it pulls you right back. So, you know, mostly you kind of stay there. You can be one-pointed focus. It can often come with a sense of well-being, some, a little bit of joy or delight, a sense of kind of now you're kind of on the, on the, in the groove. You're there. You're present. And, um, and there's not really anything that's going to pull you away. No, no distractions anymore, particularly. No hindrances can get in the way. That is, that, that is kind of a door then, or to say it this way, that access concentration is a fork in the road for meditation practice. Um, and there's two directions a person might choose to go. One is the person could go um, into doing vipassana practice, mindfulness practice. Because in order to do mindfulness practice really deeply, really thoroughly, you need to have the obstacles or the hindrances to concentration settled out. They're no longer kind of grabbing the mind, holding on to the mind. And then when the mind has, has this clarity and in the groove of being concentrated, then it can go into developing further mindfulness, more careful investigation of what your experience is. The other fork is not to do any investigation at all of our experience, but rather to, um, um, to develop full absorption, full concentration, one-pointed concentration on one object. And this doesn't involve investigating or understanding anything. It just means kind of plunging in or diving in or abandoning oneself into uh, what the object of focus is. So that you really become... Uh, the, the word uh, is, uh, that's nice in English is become absorbed in, in uh, what you're focused on. And uh, like absorbed in a good book, you get absorbed in your breath. Just kind of get, and and uh, this uh, stage of absorption uh, then has, again, different uh, stages, different qu- quantum kind of steps as you go through, uh, as you go deeper and deeper, or higher, higher, more and more concentrated. And these are what's called the jhanas, or the absorptions. And there's eight of them. And we'll talk about them next week. Um, um, so there's th- you know, three, three basic phases. There's the preparatory phase, there's the access phase, when you kind of arrive at the door, of being able to do something with your mind, and then there's getting either getting absorbed or going into greater mindfulness practice. So the initial stages, the preparatory stage, a lot of that has to do with working with the obstacles to concentration. And there are a lot of obstacles to getting concentrated, which some of you have probably gotten a hint of already. Um, it's pretty unusual person who can sit down and just get concentrated, get absorbed. Occasionally you meet people who, for whatever reason, are like the Barry Bonds of, you know, of meditation. And they just seem to have some kind of you know, inner capacity, just like, you know, wow, that person did it. Most people do not have an easy time getting concentrated. So most of you, I think, hopefully will take that as an encouragement rather than discouragement. That your difficulties in getting concentrated are completely normal most people have a difficult time getting concentrated. And it's possible to develop your capacity of concentration. It takes time, it takes effort, it um, takes knowledge, experience, and wisdom to do it. But you have to, you know, you have to do, do it and it'll come. Most of the people who have good, are good meditators, most of the great realized 
practitioners of the past who were like you and they had trouble with their concentration. Whatever trouble you're having, you know, is normal. You know, uh, if you ever watch a baby learn to walk, most babies have trouble with that. And very few, they just get up and they just like, here, I'm ready to go. Let's go for a hike. You know, they kind of take, you know, one or two steps and they fall down, you know, and then they try it again and they take another couple steps and they fall down. And there's a lot of falling down. They wobble and they trip and they, it's, you know, it's a mess. For some reason, that's probably necessary, very few of these toddlers get discouraged. They just hang in there and they keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And eventually they kind of are walking. So, for people who have never tried to cultivate their minds, their minds are like babies. And learning to develop concentration then is there's a lot of faltering, a lot of falling down, a lot of obstacles, a lot of difficulties that arise. Uh, please don't get discouraged by that. You just have to keep trying and keep trying, keep working on it, keep working on it, and things will come along. Things will gather together and, and support your ability to get concentrated. So what this means, though, is that obstacles, hindrances, difficulties in concentration, uh, to concentration are normal. And anybody who wants to develop concentration has to learn how to work with the difficulties that might arise. And so this whole preparatory part stage of meditation is a lot of has to do with learning, learning how to be wise and skillful with the obstacles to concentration, the difficulties that arise. So, um, so in saying this, I want to emphasize that in order to develop ability to get concentrated, you have to have a lot of experiences with the obstacles to concentration so you can become wise about them. What that means is that you're not going to get concentrated really fast. You're not going to sit down and boom, there you go. You're going to try to get concentrated, you're going to engage in the practice, and the mind will get stronger day by day. But you have to be, have a sense, have, have hopefully a sense of welcoming or a feeling of appropriateness in learning to understand and explore and work with the very factors that make it difficult to get concentrated. So there's many things that might happen. One of the things is, um, is your thoughts, your thinking. And so you have to develop a certain kind of wisdom around thoughts through your own experience. You can certainly hear what teachers have to say or read books about it, but a lot of it is really looking at your own thinking mind and working with it and understanding it and, and negotiating how it is. Um, I think it's, uh, whenever possible, it's best policy is not to be bothered by your thoughts. Being bothered by your thoughts is one of the first, you know, it's one of the great hindrances to getting concentrated. You're not going to get concentrated if you're bothered by your thoughts. So don't be. <laughs> Easier said, right? It's really easy to be a teacher. You, know, you, just, you just say things, and, but then, you know, the practitioner has to kind of deal with it and work with it. So, but it, it really, so that idea, of don't be bothered by your thoughts. Um, uh, meditators sometimes are bothered by them and then they just agitate themselves some more. So if there's thinking in the background, don't worry about it. Keep the breath in the foreground. As long as you keep the breath in the foreground, 
Don't worry so much about what's in the background. Maybe it'll settle down by itself eventually. <clears throat> or, if the, or if thinking is in the foreground and really prevents you from getting concentrated, don't get agitated or don't get uh, 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 judgmental about that. Uh, just kind of, okay, this is what I have to work with. Um, a lot of the things I teach in the mindfulness class that I, uh, about working with thoughts apply here where you need to uh, learn to understand the emotional ground that the thoughts arise out of. Uh, if thoughts are really bothering you in meditation, there's probably some mood or emotional ground that's giving rise to the thoughts you're having. So if you're planning a lot, there's probably a ground of worry. If, um, you know, there's all kinds of things that can be... be so kind of you can tune into the emotional ground, uh, then it's more likely, more easy to settle the thinking pattern and kind of work with that and resolve that. Sometimes um, there's the energetics, there's tension in the body connected to thinking. And so sometimes you want to kind of look and see where the tension is and then relax the tension, kind of soften, give yourself a massage. So, you know, there might be tension in the jaw or in the forehead or in the brain or in the skull someplace or in the shoulders, many different places it might manifest. Sometimes you need to relax that, kind of soften that. Maybe as you breathe out, just relax, relax. Um, kind of s- to relax that kind of th- the thinking energy that's there. You can let go of thoughts forever, but if the thinking energy is, wa- is kind of wound up, it'll just keep kind of pumping out thoughts. So what is it that needs to be settled and be relaxed? One of the ways of relaxing is to use the breath as a relaxation technique. Just every time you breathe out, relax, relax. Uh, remembering if you do too much of it, you fall asleep. Um, Um, a useful skill around thoughts sometimes is to say no to them and sometimes thoughts are like little kids and they need limits and the little kids they really like limits and so they might take you for 30 seconds for setting limits but they actually feel a lot happier because they know the boundaries are what they are they find their place in the world so sometimes our minds are like little babies you know little kids and you should say no we're not going to think about that. And that's really, it can be sometimes very effective, very solid. No, not now. Sometimes a soft, not now. Some people use the image of noticing what they're thinking about. Say, well, I notice what I'm thinking about. I'm going to shelve it. And they kind of the image of the, taking their hand up and putting those thoughts up on a shelf. I'm going to shelve it and later I'll think about it. And that's enough to kind of let the mind kind of put it aside for now. And then you can keep going. Occasionally with thoughts, if, um, if there's a lot of thinking going on and you just can't, can't stop your thinking, um, sometimes what you can do is give up that in the sense that, you're, okay, I'm just thinking, I can't do anything about my thinking, I can't stop my thinking, my thinking is not going to, you know, I can't stop or let go of it so I can stay focused on the breath. I'm just going to make my... What you do then is you go along with the thinking, but you start thinking about useful things. Just kind of, you know, start, okay, I'm going to think. Maybe start, to start thinking about your breath. You know, what's that breath like? And I wonder, you know, just kind of create a whole thought world around your breath. If you're going to think anyway, might as well think about the breath. Or think things that are useful or healthy. Think about wholesome things or skillful things. Think about nice things. If, you're going to, if you can't stop thinking, maybe you could choose what you think about. And you could th- choose, at least think about something pleasant. You know, think about something nice. And just think away. Chances are, if you think about something nice for a while, or if you think about the breath, that 
whatever's been agitating you will settle down and relax a little bit. And that's a, that's a, help, that's a useful thing to do. Another thing, occasionally, that can be useful to do, and you have to have a lot of wisdom for knowing when this is, but occasionally it's appropriate, is to, um, the, 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 the ancient texts say, uh, clench your teeth and just kind of bear down. I don't know if you have to necessarily clench your teeth, but sometimes you just kind of like, kind of get really, oh, even tight, kind of really solid, and kind of directed and kind of, I'm just going to stay with the breath. I'm not going to leave my objects of, uh, objects of focus. Kind of really kind of hold on tight. Um, you know, if you're in a big storm and on a boat and the boat's being swayed back and forth and the big waves are breaking over the boat and the wind is pushing you around, you hold on tight. Don't you? Mm-hmm. You hold on really tight. And that's appropriate. Occasionally in meditation, that's appropriate. And, um, um, but it's only very occasionally because sometimes you, know, you can get in trouble doing that kind of approach. Um, so, so, a lot, so some of it has to do with the whole understanding of the world of thinking. Part of it is having wisdom about thoughts, understanding that it's not useful to spend time in meditation thinking. As one teacher has said, nothing whatsoever is worth thinking about while you meditate. So to really be convinced that thinking about the various things you can think about is not really useful, not well, well spent uh, time during the period you're meditating. To really be convinced about that, so you're willing then to put it aside later. No, not now. I'll let go and come back. If you're not really convinced and that's so, why would you want to let go of your thinking? Your psyche is going to keep going there. So to have the wisdom to understand this is not useful now, to, and have the wisdom perhaps to understand it is useful to develop concentration. There's a lot of benefit that comes from it. So that takes a lot of time, maybe, to kind of get a handle on the world of thinking. And that's one of the things we need to do as we develop our ability to get concentrated. The other thing that might happen is that it turns out that your, your psyche, your mind, is agitated for particular reasons. And until you take care of those reasons, the mind is not going to get settled. And if sometimes if you keep pushing, trying to get concentrated, without t- taking care of some of the reasons for being distracted or agitated, it's not going to work. So you might need to um, uh, do kind of a, you know do a moral inventory. You know you might have to look at some of your things in your life that you've kind of unresolved issues. And maybe you need to go and resolve some of them. And, and uh, kind of one example of this is my friend John Travis, who was meditating in India in the 60s. And he was you know, long retreats, very dedicated practitioner. And at some point, he was having trouble with his meditation practice. And I think he was having some thoughts about his father. And he went to Ramdas, who was in India at that time, and explained what was going on. And Ramdas said, oh, enough of this meditation. You need to go back to Kentucky and visit your father. And, and Ramdas said, but don't stay too long. And so John Travis went and cut his hair and got his suit made and went to Kentucky and, and saw his father and entered his father's world and, and uh, kind of had a kind of resolution about his relationship with his father. And once that was resolved, he was able to go back to India and continue on his practice. Some people who meditate think meditation is supposed to solve all our problems. Sometimes meditation shows us that something we have to take care of things in other areas of our life in order to get 
it's not so uncommon for new meditators to have or memories of earlier times in their life come up. And sometimes those memories have to do with transgressions or, or pain they've caused other people. And people realize, oh, you know, I need to go apologize because it's still kind of sitting. I didn't realize it was still sitting in deeply lodged in my heart, this unresolved issue, this, the fact that I lied or stole. stole. And the heart's simply not going to open up or relax or do what it needs to do in order to get concentrated until somehow you make amends to heal the kind of relationship. So, I mean, it can be kind of funny. You know, you call up someone after 30 years and say, you know, it's Gil and, and I want to apologize for, you know, what I said. I lied to you or something. And Gil who? <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, or sometimes people don't want to... Sometimes you call someone up and they don't want to talk to you. They're still angry with you. That's their issue. If they don't want to talk to you, but the fact that you made the effort, uh, maybe all you need to do is settle your heart. But kind of a cleansing of your moral life is sometimes a necessary thing to do, or your interpersonal life, resolving things. Sometimes that, that's what uh, becomes clear. Some meditators will go to therapy when they, they kind of they come to a certain area of their life where they just can't go get concentrated. So that's an obstacle that might happen. Um, other obstacles. Um, uh, might be um, um, you know how we live our lives. If our lives are really stressful, then we might think it would be good to get concentrated and calm through meditation. But actually there's a very close relationship to being able to do, get concentrated and living a life that's supportive of concentration. So you might have, some people might have to look at how they're living their lives and maybe try to figure out some way to change their lives, to make it more uh, supportive of developing the kind of health that can come from a concentrated uh, uh, mind. So you might need to sleep more, get more sleep, watch less television, uh, go to fewer horror movies. Uh, (laughs) You uh, uh, maybe find different work occasionally. Maybe, um, you know, certain kinds of... uh, uh, professions are so driven, or the way we are, we're engaging them is so driven, so ambitious, so, so toxic, that maybe that environment is simply not, not compatible with beginning to kind of open up and relax and soften and get concentrated. So some people need to kind of, in order to kind of settle some of the obstacles of concentration, really need to kind of look at their wider life and take care of that, um, settle that, live a less stressful life, live a more ethical life. Um, um, uh, some people need to exercise. You know, if you don't have, if the body is not in some kind of decent shape, and to, uh, it's very hard to get concentrated in a deep way. I think the body needs it's helpful, helpful for the body to be in a basically kind of, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, kind of a Schwarzenegger kind of shape. <laughs> but uh, but you know, a little bit, you know, uh, it's, it's, you know, it needs to be a little bit of, you know, good operating order. Um, uh, actually, getting too much exercise can be detrimental for, for developing a strong concentration practice. But you need to have the body a little bit in good shape. So looking at the, at the rest of a life is sometimes helpful. Um, sometimes uh, there are psychological issues uh, of how we relate to ourselves and how we see ourselves. So it's not really a relationship to other people, but to a relationship to ourselves that are the obstacle. And sometimes they can be settled through meditation practice and dealt with that way. Um, but sometimes they can't, and sometimes you need to do something, and it could be a variety of things, that somehow you deal with the psychological issues of your life. So, for example, if there's a lot of self-hate, or self, uh, a lack of self-esteem, or 
a lot of fear uh, or a lot of something. Um, maybe that has to be dealt with outside of meditation. Um, and sometimes fear, if we drop kind of the surface uh, consciousness of the mind, the mind settles to some degree, um, some people are surprised at how much fear there can be and how pervasive it is in our psyche. And so sometimes meditation can help and you can work through it through the meditation. And sometimes uh, you need to um, you know, maybe do some kind of work, uh, therapy or something else, to work with some of these psychological issues so that the mind can get concentrated. Classically in Buddhism, um, there are lists of, of hindrances to concentration. And the most classic list is called the five hindrances. And it happens to be um, the, uh, the newsletter article this month is on the five hindrances. So if you haven't read it, you can read it now. It'll go into it. The five hindrances are one of the most... Talks on the five hindrances are probably the most common talk given on uh, meditation retreats that we teach. Every retreat gets a talk about the five hindrances. And that's because they're so common. They're so common that it's best not to take them as being personal failings. They're just what the mind does. And we have to learn how to work with it. The mind tends to be very driven by desire very driven by feelings of ill will or aversion. And, and driven means it gets caught up in, into those worlds of desire, worlds of ill will. It gets caught up with restlessness and anxiety. It gets caught up in sloth and torpor, resistance, lethargy. And it gets caught up in the worlds of doubt. And these are uh, very, very important mental factors that every good meditator needs to start getting a handle on. The deeper the meditation goes, the deeper the concentration goes, up into the point of access concentration, um, the, uh, uh, I would say, let's back up a little bit. The reason why the Buddhist tradition lists the five hindrances as being kind of the fundamental hindrances to concentration is that even when, the mind, when a lot of other things are settled and the mind's starting to get concentrated and calm and relaxed, these are very tricky. It's, it's so tricky, the mind can still kind of go off into wanting, wanting things to be nicer, more comfortable, or holding on to comfort in a way that prevents concentration, or involved in very subtle movements of ill will, or subtle movements of aversion to what's going on, or something, or very subtle movements of doubt. And so, um, so good meditators need to understand the world of what's called the, the five hindrances and learn how to work with them. We can work with them through mindfulness. Sometimes when we're doing concentration practice, we need to switch sometimes and let go of the concentration practice and do mindfulness for a while, explore these things and kind of settle them. Sometimes uh, things get settled by just ignoring them and just staying with the concentration object and just know, know they're there and kind of not get, have the wisdom not get caught by them and stay focused and get involved. Um, and uh, sometimes uh, we need to do some things like develop the antidotes to the hindrances. So, for example, if, there, if you're lost in a phenomenal bout of lust, I'm sure it hasn't happened to any of you, but it does occasionally happen to people, um, that um, it might be, you can kind of do this in a playful way, creative way, rather than some kind of puritanical way, but you might kind of, you know, imagine your object of lust that you have, and then, um, you know, it, and look at them and their body in unusual angles, like you know, <laughs> you know, or you know, or, you know, 
you know, kind of imagine those parts of the bodies which are unappetizing. <laughs> you know, the tradition talks about, you know, snot and bile and spittle and feces and urine and, you know, there's, you know most people, you know, you know, find certain parts, certain aspects of the human anatomy to be unappetizing. And so if you do this in a playful, creative way rather than some puritanical way, it can help you with your bouts of lust. And it might be a useful thing to do sometimes. If there's a lot of ill will, maybe it's useful to cultivate loving kindness, to do some loving kindness practice and bring some more friendliness and kindness and goodwill into the picture, soften the heart and relax something. Um, so sometimes the antidotes kind of settle something out, relax something. With sloth and torpor, sometimes um, the antidote classically is light. So it can be physically, you can turn on a light and have light coming into your eyelids or sit in front of a bright window. Um, but have some way to kind of bring some, do something that brings energy back into the system. You can be creative with the antidotes. Oh, um, doubt is a very powerful one. And faith is the antidote to doubt. Confidence is... So try to arouse, do something that brings faith and confidence. Sometimes um, doing a reading before you sit can help with that. Uh, read some kind of inspiring passage. That can be useful sometimes. Or sometimes you want to do mindfulness and explore the area of doubt, what's really going on there. Um, I think it's best when working with the obstacles to concentration to feel like you have permission to be creative, maybe even playful around working with these. If you have the idea that this is a terrible burden and it's unfortunate that this should be happening and you know, it's a drag, it's embarrassing that these things are happening or it's a sign of personal failure or you have to kind of get, you know, overcome them as quickly as possible you can because, you know, there's a marathon race going on. We're trying to get, you know, concentrated faster than everybody else. You know, there are all these, you know, those kind of attitudes are not so useful. But maybe feeling, oh, oh, what's what's creative about this? What can I learn from this? What's the opportunities in exploring this? How can I be playful with this? And that maybe is a much more nicer attitude to have about meditation. And it's a lot easier then to develop concentration if you have that kind of more lighter attitude about what's going on. And wow, look at that. I just criticized myself again. Isn't that amazing? And I wonder, you know, how can I work with this self-criticism? And can, can I kind of, you know, sometimes um, I mean, don't 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 follow don't follow my example here, but but I'll give you an example of a creative approach to, you know, meditation. You know, is sometimes I've imagined um, thoughts as being like a ping-pong ball, you know, and, and and awareness is like the paddle, you know, knocking it away, or um, like pinball. I like pinball a lot, you know, when as a kid I played a lot of pinball machine, you know. So you kind of imagine that the mind's kind of like a pinball machine, and, you know. And um, so I don't know if that's wise exactly, but it was creative, it was fun, it was playful. And it's certainly better than some of the alternative ways people relate to their minds. And, uh, and if you have that more lighter spirit for what you're doing, it's a lot easier than some grim idea of what you're doing. Um,
one of the obstacles to concentration is not enjoying what you're doing. And you know, meditation is not always pleasant, but um, or not always good news. But hopefully, you have some sense that this is a satisfying thing to do, or a good thing to do, or um, a beautiful thing to do, or a phenomenally valuable thing to do, a dignified thing to do. The Buddhist tradition talks about a nobility. It's a really noble thing to do, to engage in this kind of practice of concentration and mindfulness meditation. And to, and to feel some inspiration about this is really a valuable, wonderful thing to do. Um, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's some satisfaction from that, some joy from that, some, some delight in it, some inspiration from it that can help. Uh, meditation is seldom... The, it called the developing of concentrated states, the concentration, development of meditation, is not a linear process. And often we kind of linear focus in the sense that I'm getting calmer, things are going nicer, there's a good meditation. It's only going to get better, right? You know, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes it goes in, in it's more like spirals or more like, you know, it goes up and down. It's, um, and so you can expect that there be times of deepening concentration and then times when it's going to be really hard and then deepening and then hard. And part of the reason, as I talked about earlier, is that as you're purifying the mind, concentration practice is a purification process, you begin dislodging things that are embedded in your heart that have been embedded for a long time and that dislodging process um, uh, dislodges something which is difficult to deal with for a while. And it's not so uncommon for people to say, what happened? I've gone so far backwards. I'm so agitated now. They're not really going backwards. It's now they're dealing with more difficult stuff. And so they have to work through that before they can kind of get settled again and get concentrated again. Probably the most useful advice around working with obstacles, working with the difficulties of getting concentrated, is to have a tremendous respect for continuity. A tremendous respect for just hanging in there and keep doing it. Practicing and practicing. Maintaining momentum. Just day in, day out. Just practicing and practicing and practicing. Don't measure the success of your meditation on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or even a monthly basis. But just kind of hang in there. Doing it day after day after day. The rhythm, the continuity, the momentum that gets built up is very, very, very helpful. And uh, there might be obstacles you're working with for a long time but the fact that you're just hanging in there and making that effort, you're concentrated every day to kind of, you know, there's a kind of concentration just to show up every day, to be there, kind of certain kind of commitment. And just to follow through, uh, continuity is one of the great secret supports, secret, I don't know, supports to um, developing concentration. Um, and so I'll end with the, this analogy. I hope I didn't give it earlier. Um, did I give the analogy of rubbing sticks to make fire to you? I teach so much, so I don't know where I said what. But um, if you want to make fire by rubbing sticks together, you know you, you rub for a while and they start getting warm, the sticks. And then uh, you say, oh, I think I'll take a break now. And you come back after a while and you try it again. I think, you know, I'll go have some tea. You come back after a while and you start again. You know, well, now I need to go pee. Just, you know, you're never going to build up enough heat to create a spark. Or, uh, so what you have to do is you have to kind of the continuity you have to stay there long enough until a spark happens so with meditation practice also 
you have to have the continuity when you build momentum. And, um, and that happens on many different levels. But for people who sit every day, uh, sitting every day, uh, day in, day out, starts creating certain kind of momentum. And uh, it might take a while, but eventually something begins getting warm enough by doing that. So continuity uh, is very, very important. And a lot of things will get organized, a lot of things will settle, a lot of things will kind of reorganize themselves around your continuous practice, you know, psychically, in your, in your mind. A lot of the obstacles are going to work themselves out. It's really phenomenal to me how much, how much the psyche will work itself out, even itself out, smooth itself out, um, as a person does a regular meditation practice. You don't have to get involved and negotiate everything. You do the continuity and the regularity. Regularity, just regular, regular, regular. Um, so then at some point, the hindrances fall away. No, hindrances don't fall away permanently, but at some point, they're no longer getting in the way. And at that point, when the hindrances are not there and the mind is able to maintain one-pointed one focus, they're present, then a person has attained what's called access concentration. And, um, and the different Buddhist uh, traditions or different Buddhist teachers have different definitions or ways of characterizing access concentration. But the primary one that everyone shares is that the hindrances are no longer there. There's nothing really in the way of getting concentrated anymore. The person's there. You're here. It's a very, it can feel very nice can feel very wonderful because we're no longer fragmented, we're no longer in conflict with ourselves, the mind is no longer racing off in different directions. There's a kind of healing that happens when everything is here and you're able to be present and focused and concentrated. And that is the door, doorway to going into states of absorption, which are uh, um, what we'll talk about, one of the things we'll talk about next week. So, uh, thank you very much. I'd like to say that um, um, if you don't know about it, our center here has a website called audiodharma.org. There's a link to it from our regular website. And um, a lot of the talks, a lot of talks given here, the audio are there. You can download them and listen to them on your your computer. And um, if you miss one of the concentration classes, I don't know how quickly this is making it up there, but, um, but uh, the last concentration in the class I taught uh, two, three years ago is up there. And so if you miss the second or the third or the fourth week, um, it's kind of similar, you know, what happens in different weeks. So you could uh, kind of listen to it there, get a little different take on it from last, last time I did it. So thank you very much.